Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutassa. Buddhang tammang sanghang namasami. When you come to a monastery on a noposita, you really get the yeah, you really get the full the full feeling of uh, monastic life. A lot more poly, and the formality is sort of ratched up, so changes the the perceptions around things. There was a question at tea time the other day about um, about bringing the practice from the monastery back to lay life and, and how to how to support lay life in this way and and, and uh, I thought what I'd talk about tonight is a little bit on that theme although I guess any any talk that uh, Lumpur Viradamo gives or any of the monks give uh, have this theme as a as a subtext because we're talking. Uh, to other monastics, of course, but also to lay people who who make the effort to come and support the support the community and uh, and support their own practice. Um, there's a there's a list, and and uh, I, I I should caution you not to worry about trying to remember all of these terms. But it's um, a list of the ten parami or. You've maybe heard the term from the uh, Mahayana tradition, the paramitas. This is in the Sanskrit language. And uh, in Pali, it's the parami. And in Thailand, you usually hear barami with a B. Emphasis on the first letter there changes to B. Um, In fact, um, the Buddha himself did not refer to this as a list of ten. But in later tradition, um, these ten qualities became kind of organized finally. I'm not sure when this finally happened, but they do appear in a text called the Visuddhimagga, which is, what, 4th century, something like that, AD. So by that time, uh, uh, they had been organized, uh, systematized in this way. All of these, all of these terms, obviously, were were uh, principles of, of dhamma, principles of practice, which the Buddha himself spoke about and exemplified uh, a great deal. As I say, though, he he, the, the Buddha or his close disciples during his life did not uh, speak of them uh, this particular list in this way. And what the paramis were understood to by later tradition, somewhat later tradition. What the Baramis were understood to do were to um, to offer a, um, um, a view of the the fully enlightened character, uh, all of the spiritual. Not I shouldn't say all, but a, a, a very a very um, relatively comprehensive and useful list for understanding what uh, spiritual qualities would need to be highly developed in order to give rise to uh, uh, final liberating wisdom. Um, some of you may even have, maybe invis- I was looking over our chanting book, I don't think this appears in, in our chanting books, but um, if you visited other monasteries, you may have heard a chant 
it begins dana parami dana upaparami dana paramata parami so this word parami comes up three times and um, parami upaparami paramata parami and uh, at least the way i've heard this understood described is um, dana parami this means uh, the the perfection of generosity okay dana so it means an arahant, to become an arahant, one, uh, the enlightened character will, will, have, will have fully realized and developed the perfection of generosity. Upaparami, however, is, is uh, uh, even a further uh, level of development. So, uh, in a way I've heard it described, a, 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 a Pacheka Buddha, so a so-called silent Buddha or a Buddha who does not, uh, does not uh, start the wheel of Dhamma and, and proclaim it uh, uh, for the masses during his lifetime, but still a, a very, very highly developed uh, human being. Uh, Pracheka Buddha would, um, in order to achieve that level, would have uh, developed the upa parami, so dana upa parami. So it's it's understood to be a kind of higher level of, of perfection, and then paramatta parami. This this applies to a, uh, a samasambuddha, a, a fully enlightened Buddha figure who uh, eventually then uh, uh, proclaims the Dhamma, teaches and exemplifies the Dhamma and sets the wheel of Dhamma in motion. So this is the, we could say, the highest uh, level of perfection that's possible. And um, if there were Sri Lankans here, or we have one t uh, Thai, and, and uh, people will, in, uh, in, in uh, Buddhist cultures, often speak of old or remember old stories or have seen them even uh, played out uh, dr dramatically in which the Buddha is understood to have lived in previous lifetimes as a bodhi, his bodhisattva. And in this or that lifetime, it's understood that he was uh, bringing, we'll say, the dana parami to its full completion, or the, or the generosity, uh, I should say, the, the, um, say the um, uh, patience, perfection, the perfection of patience to its, to its uh, highest completion or perfection. So um, this is in part how the, the previous lives of the Buddha, uh, when he was a bodhisattva struggling uh, to become fully awakened, this is how these lives are understood. I like to refer to the list, any of these lists uh, from time to time though, because um, they offer um, uh, succinct ways of just holding the Dhamma in your hand, literally. Very often, you know, they literally are five things or ten things. So we've got a couple of handfuls here of, of um, um, in this particular category to, to grasp and to grapple with and understand and, and to somehow bring into practice as best we can. But I, I enjoy uh, thinking in, of Dhamma in these terms sometimes because um, they offer a, a very broad, um, uh, multifaceted look at, at Dhamma. They, they offer, um, uh, um, 
it's, it's, it's like having many mirrors, uh, many angles uh, uh, from which to view yourself, in a sense. Seeing how you're doing in this regard, or that regard, or the next regard, and just trying to reflect, uh, using the Dhamma as a reflective tool in this way. So I'll just go through them, and, and uh, please don't, um, uh, none of you I, I noticed have pen and paper out, so don't, don't try to remember all of them necessarily, but they will probably be terms that you've heard if you've listened to some Dhamma talks in the past and, and acquainted yourself with some uh, literature. So the first one is Dana, generosity. This is um, selfless giving. Um, 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 lay people practice dana when they bring food to a monastery or when, as we'll experience tomorrow, the monks will go to Ottawa and receive food in our alms bowls. The Sri Lankans are just, um, they're so excited about this opportunity. This will be, as far as I know, the first time in, in Ottawa, at least, that monks from this monastery have uh, undertaken this. And um, from the sounds of, of you know, the early sounds of, of the enthusiasm we've, we've uh, met, it will likely be as a, a tradition that could be quite long-standing. So <coughs> people, people who are preparing for this, I, I, I would be surprised if there aren't some people right now in their kitchens making food. And uh, it's, it's um, as, as a recipient of, of, of dana, <clears throat> in this kind of way, it's quite humbling and, and delightful also to, to think of the joy that uh, people often take in um, conceiving of what it is that would be useful, helpful, in this case healthy and delicious, and, and putting so much effort, loving effort, into uh, what it is they do. So dana, in a, in a very obvious way, comes in the form of food, or um, but it could come in the, in the form of um, eight by eight by eleven pieces of paper, you know, uh, sheets of uh, sheets of photocopy paper or whatever. Uh, but of course, generosity is something which undergirds uh, human life uh, from the time we're children and our parents uh, raise us. Uh, they are from one day to the next, um, uh, doing things for us, supplying things for us, uh, trying to make opportunities available uh, for us uh, in order that we will prosper in our own lives. And uh, this is thinking, trying to set aside their own wishes and desires and preferences and trying to, trying to keep their children in mind. And um, of course, uh, Parents struggle sometimes and, and, and um, uh, have, have difficulty uh, being, you know, the, the selfless exemplars that we, that we would sometimes hope. But still, this is the, this is the challenge that any, any human being uh, faces when they become a parent because the needs of, of, of teeny little human beings who can't even walk when they're born or speak or uh, express themselves in any useful way other than to show when they're content or happy or sad or angry or fearful. Um, uh, uh, human beings uh, absolutely rely on, on this generous spirit in order to survive from one generation to the next. 
we also, when we undertake friendships, we, we, we find that uh, friendships, when they really uh, um, prosper, do so on the basis of a kind of generous spirit amongst people, um, in the same way that, that parents set aside things that they'd rather do. Friends will often set aside their preferences in order to, to follow along with um, what it is that, that uh, one of their companions wishes to do. Or a friend may um, see that, that uh, another friend needs something, a pat in the back or um, uh, something material or some sort of help. So generosity can be seen uh, being expressed in friendship and so on and so forth in human life. So it's, it's really essential. If you think of, of Kamma, of the, of the law of causality, of moral causality, and its uh, uh, fundamental nature uh, as human beings, it's clear that um, the results of being generous, uh, um, uh, loving, generous, selfless, would be that uh, we would have things provided for us. Uh, opportunities would be more likely to arise for, for us, too. So the, 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 um, the results of generosity are evident generally speaking, uh, in a human lifetime, in any human lifetime. And um, the Buddha would say in, in samsara, in the cycle of life and death and rebirth, that uh, the, the results of, of generosity will certainly play and replay within the, uh, the great drama of samsara. So the first barmi, dana, generosity. The second is sila, um, so virtue, morality. The Buddha says that the beginning of all wholesome states is virtue which is unblemished and view, and view that is straight. So it, virtue, sila, in other words, is one of the two things that is the beginning, the Buddha says, of, of any wholesome state that is developed uh, in our life. Virtue, we've just, you've just practiced, and some of you have done this probably dozens or hundreds of times, but you just uh, recited here the eight precepts, which is um, uh, quite a, um, uh, I mean, it's a very laudatory thing to do. You come to a monastery and, and uh, uh, most people need to need to rethink their uh, their the way that they behave in life and their the things that they need and and, and uh, their their habits in life and, and sort of raise the level uh, just a little bit even if it's just in terms of of uh, how often you eat. Eating afternoon is not a moral precept; it is a training precept. So we'll maybe talk a little bit about the difference of, of that. So it's not a moral issue, except if you undertake it as a precept, then it becomes a, a moral issue to keep your word. So when you remain at a monastery or when you become a monastic, then uh, your word, um, I, I agree to, to take these certain things uh, um, seriously and, and abide by them. Your word becomes becomes something that you can trust and others can trust too because it is held for a longer and longer time. So it has real bearing. Virtue also relates to harmlessness and um, 
uh, uh, expressed in the other way, of course, kindness towards uh, other humans and other living creatures, but generally just harmlessness, avoiding harm. It requires, as you know, uh, a lot of mindfulness because uh, the harm that we can do is big, big ungainly creatures, even for little little insects and things that you can hardly see. Um, of course, we can we can snuff out their life uh, basically without thinking about it, and that's what often happens with with insects. So we it it it, it challenges us to raise our our sensory awareness, our our uh, mindfulness of what's happening in the room and uh, what's what's uh, what's under the bed or what's under things that we're about to sit on or things of that kind. So when virtue is undertaken in a, in a serious um, and um, and consistent manner, uh, it it develops, it it, it attains, it it begins to achieve a kind of bearing in a person's life. Um, you can probably all think of someone that you would, that you could, you always have known in your life that you could trust. Someone whose word was just very, very strong, or someone that you worked with uh, in your workplace of work, a colleague who, if you, if you told them something that was kind of personal going on in your life, you were sharing this with them just to kind of get it off your chest a little bit and maybe get their uh, views on it. You just knew that they would not tell somebody. So this this sense of uh, honesty and, and clarity is is so precious in human life. The next um, the next parami is uh, is um, nekama, which is renunciation, and. Um, um, you could say that as, as people that have undertaken eight precepts, your, your, this, is a, this is, you could say, is a kind of experiment in renunciation. So um, uh, it is not immoral to engage in sexual activity um, as, as householders with, with spouses uh, um, and depending on the kind of cultural views around things uh, with girlfriends, boyfriends and, and so forth. So sexuality is not a moral precept at that, at, at that stage. Of course, um, there are, there are uh, ways in which sexuality can be expressed which are uh, definitely immoral and, and those need to be guarded, guarded upon. But as I say, when you when we when you when you live in a monastery, you come to a monastery. You're you're sort of um, um, strengthening this this quality of, of renunciation, uh, even in a sense bringing it into focus. Um, you're heightening your sense of restraint because you've you've agreed to undertake certain things. Renunciation doesn't get doesn't have a particularly um, um, uh, good press, I suppose, in Western culture. It sounds uh, very negative, really, and or very ascetic and um, not life-affirming. You could say uh, there'd be a lot of ways that that um, folks in the West, in in our sort of the culture that surrounds us, would would view uh, critically uh, such a such an undertaking. Um, sometimes it's useful to to think of nekama. Uh, in, in slightly different terms, I've, I've heard it spoken of as um, uh, simplicity, for instance. 
um, agreeing or deciding to remove certain things from your life. Why? Simply for the sake of simplicity. That puts it, that puts, puts it in a different light, doesn't it? Um, say you lived in a city and you were very concerned with ecology and burning of fossil fuels and, uh, and the city's um, the system of public transport was very good, reliable, and you just decided, you know, I enjoy driving a car sometimes and you know, it's nice to get about and do things exactly when I want to, but for various reasons, I'm just going to sell the car and I'm just going to begin to rely on my bicycle and my walking and and I have this live in a central location and on public transport and even taxi sometimes. That would be a kind of act of renunciation uh, for most people, but the person undertaking it could see it as a, as a, a mark of simplicity. All of a sudden you don't need a garage, all of a sudden you don't have you know, car payments or insurance payments or all kinds of concerns, maintenance to, to worry about. It really would simplify one's life if, it, <laughs> if the transportation didn't become inordinately uh, complex, but it really would simplify a person's life uh, in some respects quite, quite importantly. The Dalai Lama, I think, speaks of, uh, or I, I think I've seen in, in his writing before, him using this word and, and, and translating it as, or speaking of it in terms of um, a spirit of emergence. So one way of, of um, giving, uh, uh, giving Nikama uh, renunciation a more positive flavoring <clears throat> is to see it as a, the natural consequence of beginning to orient oneself towards transcendent values or to, to aspire towards liberation, to aspire, aspire towards liberating wisdom. Um, when, when we really do, when a, when a shift like that does occur in one's life, it really does require that certain things are going to fall away out of necessity in order to simplify things or uh, j just just imagine this uh, you decide for instance uh, oh I'm gonna start to meditate every morning at four at four four in the morning because it will be I feel it will be very good for me it'll increase my sense of discipline and commitment and and probably be bring a lot of uh, joy and clarity to the day as well I'm just giving you here an example well one of the one of the things that would probably result from that is you'd begin to go to bed earlier, okay? So um, you might end up finding that, um, oh, you know, the late nights of um, going out with your friends and seeing a movie and then having a, having a, you know, a late night coffee and, and sort of carousing and having a lot of fun with your friends, it's not going to occur. Um, it's not going to be so likely to occur anymore because you're, you're going to get up at, say, 3.30 or something in order to, to uh, abide by your determination to meditate at 3 or at 4. Just a kind of example. So just, just to say that when we, when we uh, are become inspired by, when, we, when our sense of faith in, in some kind of activity begins to really take hold of us, other things are going to fall away out of necessity. Um, it's um, it's um, 
you could almost look at it, at it as a natural consequence of um, the spiritual maturation. Uh, we all remember when we were children really enjoying doing certain things, watching cartoons or playing with train sets or dolls or you know toys of various sorts and it's um, it's it's um, it's not a particular mystery that uh, at certain ages in our childhood we set aside certain things or we just forget about them or we just we really put them aside because they're no longer fun but they're no longer interesting they no longer sort of serve us they don't have the kind of value in our life anymore this happens in the spiritual life as well and so uh, this this concept, this barami, this perfection of renunciation, uh, can and should be seen, I think, uh, uh, in in light of this process of maturation. The the next barami. So we're now on number four. The next is is wisdom. Panya. Um, I think quite helpfully, uh, panya will sometimes be translated as discernment as well. Um, for a good reason, I think, we, we uh, use this term or we reserve the term wisdom for quite a high um, degree of, of knowledge and understanding and um, um, active understanding which is applicable in, in various circumstances which cannot be foreseen. But discernment is a good way to begin to, to see the value of, of panya. Trying to see things clearly, um, uh, using our, our minds intelligently, our hearts and minds intelligently, to understand how it is to proceed. Um, there's a degree of analysis that might be involved in panya. Um, ultimately, uh, when it's a, a fully realized perfection, of course, Banya has a quality of liberation, of liberating. So wisdom here penetrates, uh, penetrates the, for instance, the three characteristics of existence. So um, I, when I think about panya, I, 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 we can see it in two terms here. One is a kind of uh, um, panya as, as the agency of, of you or me, uh, as the agency of the of the practitioner, him or herself, so we are applying discrimination, discernment to what it is that we do, uh, how it is we practice, uh, um, what forms our practice takes, and, and so on and so forth, as well as to how it is that we proceed with our life in general. But panya also relates to that which arises, uh, we'll say, in meditation experience which can erupt in the midst of meditation experience and reveal the nature of existence, can reveal uh, the fundamental quality of dukkha, suffering, or anatta, selflessness, or anicca, uh, impermanence in the midst of, of experience. So it might be understood in these two aspects. I know Bhikkhu Bodhi thinks that uh, Panya as number four is a little bit early in the list, but anyway, it, it certainly deserves to be in the list somewhere. Uh, the next army, so this is the fifth, is, uh, is virya, uh, energy <coughs> or effort. Um, 
energy is something uh, I often think of energy as something I have or I don't have um, and then the question would arise well if you don't have energy how do you get energy and um, the answer to that would be well you make effort <laughs> make effort and energy arises and you could also say uh, referring to, to uh, wisdom or discernment the previous uh, that uh, making effort in a in a in a discerning manner will be likely to to raise uh, energy as well. But energy will 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 uh, enable us to continue to persist uh, uh, with things, to to continue to look or continue to practice, continue to sit, uh, or to sit more regularly, more often, for example. Uh, uh, it will also um, overcome with effort, it will overcome maybe periods of despondency, despair, depression, things of this kind. So there are things of course that overtake us in human life that, that don't so much seem to be a matter of choice as they are results that we can't really, that we can't really put our fingers on. You know, thinking of it, just being in a in a sad mood or a very low mood or feeling um, depressed or um, um, not energized about practice or life or um, feeling um, um, that we that we don't have the capability, the qualities uh, required to proceed. In, in, in such a state, we need to draw upon a number of resources, uh, try to develop these resources and draw upon them in order to, 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 to raise again that sense of energy and enthusiasm and faithfulness, for instance, in order to, to get over these, these, these periods. Sometimes they can be very difficult for people. The, uh, the next barami is, um, is patience, kanti. The next barami is either patience or truthfulness. I think it's kanti. Kanti is kind of, is a kind of, um, is a nice contrast to energy. Kanti, patience, is um, um, an ability to sit with, uh, simply to observe, you know, um, Many of you have read and heard uh, uh, um, Ajahn Sumedho's uh, talks, and um, something that he's quite famous for is, you know, it's like this, it's like this, and uh, one can say many things about about that those three words when they're uttered by Lumpur Sumedho and just kind of um, carried forward in our own practice. But um, there's certainly wisdom there. There's also a kind of patience, just to endure something which may be difficult in the moment. But first of all, you have to just see it as it is. It's like this. Sometimes it relates to a quality of contentment. Uh, and contentment is maybe has a, a bit of the flavoring of patience as well, because it's it's fine the way it is, and it is not. It is not pressing forward to move on to the next thing. So it's 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 also sort of patient with what is. 
this beautiful kind of holding just of whatever the experience is and finding it to be sufficient, finding it to be enough. Patience may require, um, in the first instance or in an early instance, restraint, of course, where you might find yourself with a person who is um, seems to be quite disagreeable or maybe agitated, maybe even um, speaking in ways which are um, unkind or um, unskillful in some way. Maybe they're directed directly towards you. Having, having a, um, um, uh, this resource, this barami, to some degree of, of patience is extraordinarily valuable because whatever, whatever those words are, they're, they're meeting a kind of coolness, uh, a kind of openness, a coolness, a, and also a strength. And, um, and it gives you the space, the time uh, to respond more appropriately, more skillfully to difficult circumstances. Patience also means that uh, you could sort of flip that and, and sometimes you'll be in the, in the midst of something very agreeable, something very desirable. And once again, restraint is sometimes required. Um, um, but if there's, if there's patience in the, in the midst of what is deeply agreeable, something which is very, very enticing, uh, there's just there's there's an ability to pause. Uh, do I need this? Should I, in fact, go after this this thing, this person? Someone's very attractive. Um, you've already had a, a nice dessert earlier in the day. You don't need another piece of cheesecake, maybe whatever it is. But there's um, uh, it offers to the human being, and in, in the midst of your experience, um, a spaciousness, an ability. To watch what is. So obviously there is mindfulness present as well. So kanti, patience. The, the next barami is uh, satcha or truthfulness. So this is, a, um, this is a paying particular attention to uh, at least one of the precepts that you took today about speech not saying things which are untrue, not saying things that you know to be untrue, uh, taking care with, with speech. Truthfulness also relates to our view of ourself, I think. We, <clears throat> we can, um, Western culture seems to um, praise um, kind of um, uh, people who maybe don't express a great deal of uh, um, uh, confidence in their abilities are always kind of playing themselves down. Oh, I don't think I could do that. Uh, uh, I'm not good enough for this or that or the next thing. And this can seem like, uh, sound like humility, modesty. But um, sometimes, uh, and, and, and sometimes it, it's quite true. I mean, um, can you please do this, sir? Uh, you know, I've never done that. I, I don't think I know how to use that tool, for instance. That's, that's just being truthful. But uh, sometimes we, we are modest to a fault, as we say. And in this sense, there is a, there's a quality of truthfulness which isn't being adhered to, which just is being clear to oneself about what is, what is possible, what, uh, what really uh, uh, should be undertaken. Um, uh, how truthful in terms of how it is you present yourself 
to the world, but also how it is that you um, um, understand your own qualities, your own intentions. We, we sometimes pay less attention to our own goodness than we should. We, uh, we, we don't acknowledge properly uh, in full enough terms um, the, the, uh, the goodness in our hearts that propels us towards becoming better human beings, towards becoming a little happier, but also um, more sober, more giving, more, more honest, more, more wise as human beings. These aspirations are actually um, a mark of, of um, considerable virtue for, for any human being and they are deserving, they are, they are uh, deserving of respect. So to, to neglect this dimension of our lives, what it is that we intend, what it is that we're trying to, to do, bring forth in our life, um, is, it brings no benefit to us. And um, so part of, you know, we, we could say, I'm just, I'm just um, uh, exploring these terms as you can see, but part of this, this uh, parami of satcha or truthfulness is um, reflecting on your own qualities in a, in a generous and kind manner. One which, yes, is truthful, but is, is, is fully, uh, fully generous and kind in, in its intent and, and, and how it is that we're, we're conceiving of ourselves. So don't, we, we, we ought not then to, to, um, to play ourselves short, to, to undermine what it is that we're trying to do or undermine the accomplishments that we have gained in, in life thus far. Yes, there's, there may be a lot that we, that we need to, uh, we feel we need to accomplish so far, still rather, but um, we, we need to be really clear about, about being honest and, and kind uh, uh, with how it is that we speak to ourselves. And of course to others. Um, um, it's very easy, for instance, to, to uh, begin to neglect to praise in, in just the right way children that we're around or, or uh, friends maybe. Uh, sometimes friends can get into a habit of, um, oh, kind of gentle mocking or um, joking around in ways which sometimes, sometimes they're, it's understood completely that, 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 that these things are uttered in, in very good humor and very good hearted ways. But sometimes uh, when, when the habits develop, that becomes the norm of, of, of uh, speech within friends even, that it's kind of mocking, uh, undermining, undercutting. Um, sometimes these habits uh, need to be examined very carefully and, uh, uh, because they can actually, over time, uh, do considerable harm to others um, and, and to ourselves. The, uh, the, this is the, what, the seventh, no, the eighth, the, the eighth parami is um, aditana. This is determination, determination. So already spoken, you know, it's already being implied in some of the things that I've said. Um, this, this sense of restraint, for instance, has a sense of determination in it. 
sometimes, of course, we need to be very strong uh, about saying yes or about saying no, because, uh, for, for instance, uh, virtue is very much uh, at the heart of some proposed action. And so uh, it, it requires the very best of us. Uh, the, 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 it challenges our very best qualities to, to do something or not to do it, given this, uh, uh, depending on the circumstance. Aditana is, in monastic uh, life, uh, a term which we often use to re- relate to something that we undertake. You know, uh, we could call them vows. So... Um, for instance, monastics sometimes will make an aditana for the a range retreat. Um, uh, say in this monastery, because we have breakfast, uh, a monk might say, you know, for this range retreat, I'm, I'm making an aditana, I'm not taking breakfast. I'm just giving that as an example. Or um, could be something more simple, you know. You, you start finding that you, <clears throat> you really like your tea sweet, and you say, you know, I'm only going to put one spoon of sugar or honey in my tea. That that is it. And and when you first start doing that, it doesn't seem like it doesn't feel like enough. Maybe, but you just keep doing it, and then and then you you stick with it. So you you're truthful to yourself about what you've undertaken. You remember. You've got mindfulness, and over time, a sense of you know a little bit of wholesome pride develops. You know, I I stuck with that the whole range retreat. I only took one spoon of sugar in my tea or on my porridge or something. So um, they can be quite heroic. Um, if uh, some of you I know have read, oh, maybe the biography of Ajahn Man, or some of you are reading this huge new beautiful biography of Ajahn Chah uh, that recently was published, and you know that um, uh, these great forest masters, there were early periods in their lives when it seems that much of their practice was determined by uh, very uh, heroic uh, aditanas. And um, aditanas need to be uh, undertaken with, with intelligence. Uh, we need to understand ourselves. Lay people, um, you know, it, it, they can be really quite simple, but just observing something quite simple each time it comes up in a day, it has a cumulative effect. So we should not uh, underestimate the value of even really modest aditanas or modest vows that we make in life. Uh, one of my teachers, Ajahn Sona, used to, because uh, he's, he's made some pretty, uh, pretty strong vows sometimes in his training, but he used to talk about thinking about it in three ways. Um, first of all, you've got things that you know you can do. Um, cutting back, you know, your sugar from two spoons to one spoon in your tea. You know, I'll notice the difference, but I can do it. Okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ninety percent sure. Okay, <laughs> I can, I can do it. It's not going to be too much of a problem. Yep, I can do it. Okay, so that would be one type. And then he said, you know, there's ones around fifty-fifty. Um, um, uh, for the next range, for this range retreat, you know, I'm 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 getting up at three in the morning, and practicing for an hour and a half. That's that, that, that's going to stretch me. You know, uh, a person might think, boy, um, I don't usually get up that early. Or yes, I get up at three thirty or four, but I don't practice that. You know, it, it's going to stretch me, but it's within the possibility. You know? So I'm going to try. 
you give your give it your best and it's you realize though it's 50 50 so you give it your very best and you know you you stumble a couple times and then you pick it up again and that's that's another type of aditana okay that's another type of, of determination that a person might, might make uh, and the final type Ajahn Sona said are, 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 are forms that are really very advanced and, and, and uh, ambitious and, and maybe my, my second example would, for most of us, belong in, the, in this, this final category. But say it's, you know, 80-20. 20% possibility of actually carrying it through for this amount of time. 80% chance that it might not work. But, but, but it's worth trying. It's worth seeing where my limits are. What kinds of resistance, you know, my defilements throw up. Uh, will it be because I always feel too tired or I can't remember to do something or so the defilements will come up in different ways they have different faces different characteristics so it will be valuable in that sense and you know you might succeed 90% of the time or 80% of the time but that's really quite an accomplishment 60% of the time well, well good but the, but the effort itself has been worth it so, because you're learning something, you're, you're doing it within, within an intelligent kind of way, observing, reflecting, and so on. So these are, these are ways that uh, aditana can, can, be, can be understood. And I, and I, I guess finally I would say, um, uh, I often think of aditana as uh, um, simply as persistence. Looking at the long, long term, you know, the long scale of things. Um, you know, as as a monk, I can think, well, I became a monk at such and such a time, and now it's, you know, it's 2018, and and so uh, I can I can look over a period, and and I know that I haven't done as well as I wished at times, or I haven't I've been a little confused about my practice, maybe at these times or those times, but what I can see is a kind of persistence. And uh, for anyone uh, who has really over time um, picked up a spiritual practice and begun to cultivate, to, to feed aspirations and to inform yourself about, about uh, the Buddha Dhamma and, and uh, any of you who have begun to conceive of yourself as a practitioner of, of the Buddha's word, uh, any of these kinds of terms. Um, think about yourself as a person who is willing to persist, because you will. You, we all fall. We all we all trip and land on our nose once in a while, or we all get slowed down because it feels like we're we're walking through through mud in in, in uh, knee high gum boots. But but we persist. Sometimes the energy is good. Sometimes we need to apply more effort. Sometimes the path really just seems to unfold in front of our eyes and, and our mindfulness is clear and, and the mind and heart are calm and, and so forth. Other times it's difficult. Whatever the case, uh, when you look over uh, a life or the last month or the last year, what have you, just to be able to say, but you know, I, this happened, that happened, but, but yet I persist. It's, um, that's, that's such a beautiful quality uh, to be able to reflect on and observe honestly. The last two of the barami are, um, 
are uh, metta and upeka. So they are, in fact, the first and the fourth of what are called the Brahma-viharas or the sublime abidings. There's so much effort that's gone into the, the previous uh, barami, um, including, including aditana, persistence and, uh, and uh, restraint and virtue and all of these things require so much. Uh, metta, you might say, uh, the cultivation of metta in a, in a strong and consistent way um, reminds a person to, 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 to undertake spiritual practice in all of life in as in a, in a, a, a spacious a manner as is possible. Uh, to look for uh, a kind of cultivation of, of, of a buoyancy, a warmth of the heart for ourselves, for our own failings, you know, beginning with patience, but also with just a loving acceptance of, of who we are and what it is that we're, we're trying to do. Um, and a loving acceptance of, of things that we don't succeed at at one time, but, but we, we, we begin again, we begin again. Um, as you probably know, I'm sure you do, uh, metta can be cultivated in particular ways. I mean, now today we've chanted in both Pali and English, the uh, Karaniya Metta Sutta. So uh, the Buddha uh, praised the cultivation of metta in, in many, many ways. And uh, it's, it's one of those qualities that, that um, is so beautiful to reflect upon as, as being you know, one of the hearts of, of Buddhist life, really. Um, there's so much good to be said about a person who, you know, sometimes they aren't the most mindful here and there, or they, they, they forget to do their duties. You know, if we live in community, sometimes we, we observe this of ourselves or others, but, oh, you know, so-and-so forgot to do something again. I have to, I'll, I'll go and do it. Or uh, so-and-so hasn't done this as, as well as I'd hoped. You know, I hadn't told him about how to do that yesterday, and now he forgot again. But... If, if there's a sense of kindliness, of uh, generous generosity of spirit, it doesn't always mean being nice, but, but it means that there's a, a warmth um, underlying even words of admonishment or correction or what have you. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've only been at this monastery for, what is it now, what, six weeks only, but I've known Lumpur Viradamo uh, for, for many years, and... Uh, um, you know, I, 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 it's fair to say that I, I see or I feel his, the imprint of his own practice in, in this community life because there is a great deal of, of just communal well-wishing and, and uh, you know, to a, to a large degree a sense of buoyancy here. Because I think largely because, uh, not to take away from the practice of, of those of us here, but Lumpur himself uh, has been working with um, with his heart and the heart of the matter uh, for so many decades now and it has you know, it has a robust a robust kind of quality it's very um, it's very uh, convincing to be around you you uh, you remember it more easily when you're around a person uh, whose practices of this caliber so so I think we all recognize um, uh, the value of metta. And, and just to say again, it, it doesn't always mean being nice. It isn't, uh, 
um, necessarily just just because the words are always really pleasant to hear. Sometimes, sometimes we can be quite strong. We can we can make very clear um, set very clear boundaries. But even here, there can be a a sense of kindness underlying it because we're setting boundaries for very good reasons, and those reasons have to do with our own care for ourselves, but also for the for the care and, and instruction of another person. The final uh, barami is upeka, uh, uh, usually translated as equanimity, upeka. This is um, um, of the of the four Brahma Viharas, but it is a, it is a quality which seems to to uh, require a very high degree of wisdom even to begin to to see it at work, to see it uh, to see it displayed in ourselves or another person. It it should not be uh, misidentified as uh, indifference. It's quite different from indifference, in fact. Instead. It's, um, it, it has an ability to remain, uh, what would you say, buoyant. Uh, there, there's a sense of balance and equilibrium, even in the midst of life's irregular demands. Life is, of course, challenging. It can be very difficult at times. So a person who has uh, equanimity developed to some degree then is able to withstand and respond to things much more clearly because they aren't thrown off by uh, various forms of turmoil, emotional turmoil, uh, worldly turmoil going on, on around them. They aren't, uh, they aren't swept away with elation when they get their favorite treat or when um, uh, some f when their team wins the big game or something like that, neither are they uh, swept away with, with sadness or depression or anger when something that they don't like occurs. Rather, there's this stability, this beautiful stability, and uh, there is movement, but it's it, it, there's poise, there's uh, there's balance there, and as I say, it's um, it's it's. After a while, it is not able to to completely upset a person with a with a high degree of equanimity. So once again, thinking of Lumpur Samedo, you know, it's like this, and uh, people like Lumpur Samedo who have, who have practiced so long and so diligently for for uh, for most of their life, actually, uh, you have a sense that. Um, they can, they can, um, you know, they can be in the midst of, of some pretty challenging things, and they can just sit with it, and then they can respond with, and that's why we, that's why we go to our teachers, isn't it? One of the reasons is that uh, there's enough equanimity and mindfulness. Uh, um, uh, there are enough of the spiritual qualities or perfections available there that they can mirror back to us what we value and they themselves can respond to um, um, difficult circumstances with, with, uh, with grace, with wisdom, and, and uh, qualities of this kind. So, um, ten things, a uh, little bit maybe hard to remember. I expect you've heard of all of these things before at one time or another, and perhaps you've actually worked with the, the Paramis uh, from one uh, at times. I often think uh, it's a good idea to 
if a, if a, if a particular list is appealing to you, you know, write them, write them down, put them on the fridge, assuming everybody still has fridges and magnets and all of that, and uh, just reflect on them as a whole or reflect on one at a time, one week at a time, say. But uh, these, these lists that come out of uh, Buddhist wisdom uh, are uh, very, very wholesome, I think, to, to use as reflections because they're very succinct. You just have to remember two or three or five or ten words, basically. But out of them, they are, they are coherent with one another. They're harmonious with spiritual truth and value and development. And therefore, they, uh, they are, there's a kind of concentrated goodness uh, involved with them. They're very skillful, I think, too. To, um, to use from time to time. So I'll uh, leave those uh, for your reflection. Thank you. Sadhu, sadhu,